I'm Tom Morello, host of Maximum Firepower. A weekly podcast focusing on the music, the moments, and the movements that have shaped my worldview and left an indelible mark on me as an artist and activist. Come correct with Maximum Firepower. For you and me. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. I'm Tom Morello. This is Maximum Firepower. My guests today are Dan Weiss, the co-creator of Game of Thrones and the producer of the upcoming Metal Lords film, and Vince Vaughn, star of Stage and Screen, longtime friends from Illinois. Our subject matter today is the game of Dungeons and Dragons. We are all from Chicago suburbs, and to tee it up, tell me a little bit about the Chicago suburb that you're from. Dan. Uh, I grew up in most of my childhood in uh, Highland Park, Illinois, which is uh, on the lake, about 20 minutes, 25 minutes north of the city. And yeah, it was, you know, it was a kind of place that when I was there in junior high school and in high school, I could not wait to get somewhere more exciting. And gradually over the years, as I look back on it, I realize that it was a pretty excellent place to have grown up. I was living there when they were John Hughes was shooting a lot of his movies around the area and on the streets that me and my friends lived on. And yeah, and we we did, we'll get into the D&D a bit later, but from the time I was in about fourth or fifth grade, you know, somebody got me one of these, my mother probably got me one of the, the basic D&D box, you know, the first edition box version of D&D and said that so-and-so's son said that this was a fun game. And she didn't know. She thought it was, I'm sure she thought it was like Clue or Life yeah. or one of the, I think she thought it was a board game because it came in a box. And I got sucked into that box for uh, quite a few years and for many hundreds of hours afterwards, you know, and I, I, in some ways I never, I've never left that box. (laughs) And Vince, you're from Lake Forest, Illinois. I am. I I lived in a suburb until I was about eight called Buffalo Grove. And then I moved to Lake Forest starting in the third grade. And Lake Forest was where John Hughes lived. And similar to all of us, that's, you know, really the setting for a lot of his films. And I was very similar. I really liked it when I was young because, you know, I would ride my bike and I had a lot of freedom and I just was by myself a lot. I remember even back in Buffalo Grove in first grade, my mom would send me out the house and I would walk the two, three blocks to school with Mm -hmm. just the other kids that were pouring out of their homes. And then Lake Forest, third grade, I'd ride my bike to school uh, or to friends' houses. And there was really, you know, the only thing was to be home when it was dark. So it provided a lot of freedom. And then I started to go to the city a lot when I got of age to do so and, and getting involved in improv and other things. And I, I really was wanting to leave the town and felt bored once I got to those high school years. But similar to Dan, looking back, I'm really, you know, thankful for it and really loved my experience there. Yeah, we're, we're three for three in that regard. It's like when I lived in Libertyville, I couldn't wait to get the hell out. But having lived in Los Angeles for a long time, coming back to this kind of bucolic community mm-hmm. in the country where, you know, I bring my kids there and now they can just run out the screen door and go, if you've got a ball, you will instantly have, you know, new friends you know, in the field. Uh, and the one thing about it was it provided a lot of like sort of time for imagination too. Now our like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. there's a weird sort of class structure to the northern suburbs and like Lake Forest and Libertyville were rivals in some weird way, you know, like sort of Hatfield McCoy 
boy, almost rivalry where we were, you know, even though Libertyville was this, you know, kind of middle class upscale suburb, we were kind of sometimes derogatorily referred to as Povertyville. And we referred to Lake Forest as Lake Florist at times because, they, you know, it was like some sort of Beverly hillbillies. Kind of. Anyway, um, but so we're, we're in our suburbs, uh, in, in some ways enjoying them, in some ways trapped in them. And what was your introduction to the game of Dungeons and Dragons? Dan. Well, I mean, yeah, it was like I said before, it was it, it came I'd heard about it because we had a babysitter who was older than us. And he he was really into the Lord of the Rings. And I think it was probably he was the one who told me to read Lord of the Rings. And when I was, you know, maybe nine years old, when I first read Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And he said, there's a game where it's like you're playing a game and you're in Lord of the Rings. That was more or less how he described it. And then either he told my parents about it or they I told them about it and and I got this game and we kind of was something that was it was in the ether for I think people of our generation it was in the, in the air at that time and so everybody wasn't that hard to get a group of like 10 year old boys to sit down and play this game because like you said it was so much of the playing that we did then was I mean it was really before I mean I guess I'm trying to remember the years it was it was probably right around the same time the first very first video games were even available mm-hmm. right that wasn't a huge thing. It became a huge thing. And so much of your play, the playing that you did was imaginative. Like yeah. Vince was saying, it was like you were used to being inside your own heads. And if you were playing, I don't know, if you're on your bikes and you're playing chips riding around your, your block, like you're already turning your bicycles into motorcycles and yourself into a California highway patrolman, you know? So <laughs> that kind of transference, that that was already going on. And this really... This provided almost like a turbocharged, like focusing of that kind of imagination. And Vince, your intro to the game. Yeah, you know, if, speaking first of the towns, it's true. It's provincial in this in the setting that we did not go into each other's towns. Like your town no. had a hardware <laughs> store, and there would be yeah. no reason to venture into the other's town. So <laughs> if you were ever at like Hawthorne or Plit Hawthorne Theaters, and yeah, there were yeah. people with jackets or paraphernalia from mm-hmm. other schools, there was an instant tension that would permeate like you just weren't used to yes, the towns yes. hanging out like Libertyville yeah. and Lake Forest were, were rivals and Highland that's where Park, you'd the see same. other people was, at movie theaters yeah you would come up the mall was a place where it's like oh those guys are from that school it's like you just didn't interact you didn't leave your town and so and then yet yeah, when you go to Los Angeles no. and they're from the town next to you that becomes a point of bonding because <laughs> there's a somewhat of a similar experience a bonding absolutely yeah and where yeah. D&D was concerned yeah. I was so fortunate there was a kid that was three years older than I was and I was very young. I was in third or fourth grade. And he was a very academic guy and new to the area. And he just didn't have a lot of friends. And yet my mom knew him from Buffalo Grove. They had they had moved into the neighborhood. And he really needed someone to play with. He was a D&D player, very well-read, very academic. And so I think because he didn't have a lot of options, I really lo- had a good imagination. And so I remember him you know, rolling a character for me. And it was just me and him. He sort of had this campaign Mm. and me and him played. And I really benefited from him as far as the game and the rules and learning. And it was just nice to have an older guy walk you through it. And then like Dan said, I remember sitting for hours. I think I learned more about math and obviously my my introduction to mythology. A lot Mm. of it came from Dungeons and Dragons, like the probabilities, you know, rolling dice. Yeah. It feels like the 100 sided, you know, percentiles were more important back then. There were psychic powers you had to roll to get or something. 
And so I could spend hours on those books. I couldn't study. I was so bored. I wouldn't study for, you know, a school test, but I could, I could sit on the weekend and read through those books and remember those images from those books really well. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was the first day of high school and homeroom. I met the crew that became my Dungeons and Dragons, you know, family. Several of them are close friends of mine now that Vince, you, you know, that I've, you know, that live here in, in Los Angeles. And they just were a different, like me and my friend, we were, you know, we were athletes and, we, you know, we love sports and we love messing around. And it was a, a different sort of breed of kid. Like they played Othello competitively, you know, and they, and they were the ones that put the Hobbit in my hands, you know, to begin with. And then they introduced me to this game and we would play over at my friend Joel's house. And Joel's dad, one of the one of Libertyville's few claims to fame is that Marlon Brando attended one year of Libertyville Public High School. He was kicked out for riding his motorcycle through the halls. That's an anecdotal tale, but I choose to believe it. And a classmate of his was Joel's dad. Right. And so Marlon Brando would visit. We I didn't really know much about Marlon Brando other than he was a very heavy set guy who would make chicken with Ed Larson in the kitchen while we played Dungeons and Dragons. So those those two events are just linked in my mind. And so to me, it was the extension of Lord of the Rings. When I read Lord of the Rings, I went all in. It was like a, a mind blowingly awesome world that didn't have to stop. Because you then could play Lord of the Rings and you had some version of those adventures where you were one of the heroes. I was so invested in the idea of Lord of the Rings that I found employment at the Bristol Renaissance Fair, (laughs) which was my first job, where like I read the books, I started playing D&D, I donned tights and a codpiece and played like pirate shanties for the next five summers because my Lord of the Rings immersion was complete. Now, some people may be listening to this who have no idea what Dungeons and Dragons even is. Dan, give me a concise, what is the game of Dungeons and Dragons? It's a fantasy role-playing game where... Dot, dot, dot. I'm not, I was, I've been busy trying to picture Marlon Brando's running commentary on your D&D game while he's eating chicken. <laughs> he, was, he, compl- he ignored us completely. We were like flies or insects. He was out there making chicken, and the chicken smelled it's, I mean, good. We, we've got, we, the funny thing is, is that the, you know, the three of us play in, in multiple games at this point, and we've got their guys who are in those games with us who are experts in this field and qu- right. could give you a, an excellent capsule summary of Dungeons & Dragons. But try to put it in a, the terms of the layman. I have a feeling that they in, might in go layman, get a little I'm too to detailed. Of, I'm yeah. trying to think of like layman in layman's terms. It's a, it's a game. It's a role playing game, which means you take on the persona of a character with specific features, and 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 uh, he's got statistics associated with how your your strength and your wisdom and your intelligence, your charisma, the things that define who you are as a person. You've got different classes you can be. You can be a fighter or a wizard or a sorcerer or a bard. Well, uh, you can be you do different kind of races, species. You can, be, you can be human, you can be an elf, you can be a dwarf. There are almost infinite number of different permutations of the kind of person you can be. And you generally team up with between three and, you know, we have one game that's 10 people. That's a lot. But you team up with a group of other people and you go out on a very, like, long form, open-ended adventure, which is determined entirely by your own choices. There's not... Yeah. There are no rails. It's not like your a lot of the video games that that have been drawn from Dungeons and Dragons. You you go from point A to point B to point C, and you don't really. If you try to go off the map, like the game pushes you back towards the map. And D and D, it's really up to you where you want to go. We've done. We've spent a whole night mostly on on uh, on Vince's goading, gambling in a in a casino in a tavern in a town. Yeah. You know, like that that wasn't 
in the game plan that the game master, the dungeon master uh, came up with, but it was what we chose to do. And so that's what we did. And it was as much fun as anything else we could have done. So there's generally an overarching goal of some kind. There's generally some kind of large scale conflict that you need to address that's affecting either the city or the entire world that you're in. But in between the moments when you're dealing with that larger scale event, you're doing all kinds of other side quests and telling your own side stories. And I think that's really what it is. It's about you're creating, it's a, if it was one sentence to describe it or one phrase to describe it, I would say that it's, it's a collective form of storytelling. Yeah, that's what I was. So, so Vince, the part that flesh out the like the co-creation part and sort of the role of the game master or the dungeon master in it, in because that's a it's a big part of it. Like, I think you you hit the nail on it. It's like it's a co it's an imaginative co-creation of a story. Yeah, well, the idea came from was there was a group of guys who, funny enough, Geneva, Wisconsin became such an important yeah. place, which was nearest, but it was Minnesota. Dave Arnonson had this idea of you know, playing these military games, why are these things so finite? Like you have to be a unit. Well, what if you're a chef, you know, within the unit, what is his day like? And I think the reason he gravitated towards token was there's certain rules and no knowledge about tanks and what they can and can't do, but there really is no rules to what a wizard could do. Your imagination Mm, becomes the more deciding factor. So it's what Dan said in that you're a kid, you're using your imagination. And this became tools to do that and continue that game. But when you sat down and kind of used your imagination and graph paper to do so. So, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of it was, what if you're just a person in the world, in the world of the token, and you can choose your journey? Are you a venturer? Do you sell goods? Are you a good character? Are you a bad character? And is there a greater mission? And the, the biggest concept was it was an open-ended game. It wasn't a closed game. There wasn't, the risk is played. There's a certain amount of things that happen and the game is over. This is an ongoing life that that goes through this world that continues. And I think the fun for everybody was it was a great way to find some basic rules to continue role playing and doing the things we did on our bikes, playing chips or, you know, California Patrol. And then where the DM is concerned is, you know, he story tells with the players. He sort of has ideas of a background in the old version. They would kind of come up with their own world And they would sort of, you know, depending on what the characters did, they would have to design where the characters were going next. So the characters' choices, their wants, their fears would dictate what the dungeon master came up with as far as what they ran into. And then this collaborative storytelling is based on the characters' choices. And then what the DM designs, you create this very unique story that could only happen with the exact set of players that are playing in that. And so the DM controls all the other characters in the world the settings, and each of us, the players, would control your character in that mm-hmm. particular adventure. This is Tom Morello. You are listening to Maximum Firepower. I'm here with Dan Weiss and Vince Vaughn, and we are talking about Dungeons and Dragons. So in what ways does your playing of Dungeons and Dragons as a kid, has it affected your work, Vince? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think it opened up so much imagination, mm-hmm. mythology, and interest in mythology, the ability to create and to collaborate creatively, to storytell with others. Mm-hmm. I find even playing the game now that it's really unlocked me creatively and making it more fun mm-hmm. because it's play. Mm-hmm. Like there's something about when it's play and it's there's not a deadline and it's not work. It's like it's just something to do just for the fun of it that it's easy to spend your time on it. But in mm-hmm. doing so, I think it does sort of bring ideas in other areas more readily and more easily. Mm-hmm. 
Dan, and how about you? I mean, like, yeah, funny, you made playing... you made a show called Game of Thrones with a bunch of dragons in it, and there were sort of some funny, dungeons but... in it as well. So, like, I mean, playing with, with, with ev- all the guys, but and like pl- playing with Vince, who who professionally embodies people he's not. That's your gig. That's that's what you do, and what you're very good at doing. And I mean, yeah, when I was a kid, I mean, my parents were great about it, and they loved that that I was doing this thing that that was imaginative and that involved like tons of reading just you had to read these giant mm-hmm. bibles just to be able to play the game and i think they intuitively kind of caught into that and liked it i they also i think were like well this is fun i, I don't see how i don't see where a medieval fantasy world is ever going to have any like real world impact on your life i don't think they ever pictured like <laughs> what are you ever gonna how are you ever gonna convert this thing, things you're learning about, a, you know, a fictional fantasy universe into, you know, some kind of gainful employment. And I was, it was, and David Benioff was both, he and I were dungeon masters growing up, you know, in our local groups, we both kind of got off the boat at about the same time. And when we read those George's books, George, who was also a huge, one of the first like role-playing gamers in the world, we read his books we both had the exact same reaction where we we just realized like we, without realizing it, we spent most of our childhood studying and preparing for this gig by playing this game. And so when you step on set and you're like, those, uh, those crenellations don't look right. And that shouldn't be a, a one-handed sword. That should be a great sword. And those van braces don't look like they're going to do what they're supposed to. You have all these opinions about things that aren't real in your world. And you develop those opinions like in thousands of hours of studying for and playing and thinking about this game. So I could say that Dungeons and Dragons changed my life like beyond all recognition in a way I never possibly could have imagined. For me, it helped because the game was so free form and I was a dungeon master as well. When I was handed the dungeon master mantle, even as like a 15 and 16 year old, I had a political bent to my ideas. And so my campaigns were sort of more about kind of like overthrowing the king. And like the, the quests would be ones that would be like they're the rebels in the jungle doing this, that and the other, which is looking back is pretty crazy. OK, so in conclusion, so generally in the world now, it feels like. The stigma of Dungeons and Dragons is, has gone away in some in some ways, maybe in part mm-hmm. because of the show Stranger Things, in part because of mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, but in Stranger Things in particular, where it's like it's a new generation was introduced to the heroism of Dungeons and Dragons players. There's a show called Critical Role, which is like a YouTube Dungeons and Dragons game, which has millions and millions of followers. So how does the game sit with you now? And I think, Dan, we've got a game tonight. And then we've got we've got another one in the offing next week. So what is your sort of present feelings about the the game in 2021 and as a rogue and as a human? Well, it's funny because when we were shooting this movie up in Portland, it was it's a movie about kids, you know. And so most of the cast was between the ages of like 18 and 20 or 17 and 20. And it was unfortunate because of the covid of it all. Like there was no there wasn't the community that forms when you're making something was missing, you know, and you, nobody could see anybody's face. And it's just, it was, it was, I was bummed out. I was bummed out on the behalf of some of the kids we were working with. Cause they didn't, there was an experience that I knew they should have been having that they weren't. But one of the young women who, an actress in the movie named Annalise Fisher is a huge D and D fan. And she took it upon herself to put together 
a game with her dungeon master, Val, and she asked Val if she would DM for all the cast. And Val said yes. So he put together a Zoom, a D&D game with, I guess it was about 11 people, so a couple of whom had played before, most of whom hadn't. And uh, Annalise, the actress, gave a tutorial to everybody who hadn't beforehand, so they kind of knew what it was. And this was a very mixed group. There were actors. They were all actors of some kind or another, but there were the ones who were in school at Berkeley, and there were ones who were lifetime actors, and there were ones who were athletes, and there were ones who were you know, more into academic stuff. They were all across the board to see this. And, and gender balance was even, you know, in this game, which is was when I was growing up, that was definitely not the case. There was not an even gender balance in, in D&D. But here it was even. And watching everybody play this game for maybe four hours, which is a pretty big time commitment for people who aren't, you know, pre-sold to a thing. It made me feel like this is something that younger people today are going to be in general, like more open to and more of them will be open to this today than they would have been when we were growing up. Vince, final words on Dungeons and Dragons. It's true. When we were younger, there was no girls playing and it wasn't anything you would want girls to know that you were playing, you know, was not a perceived uh, cool (laughs) thing to do. Like you, I played sports and had other activities Mm. and was comfortable I played with an older gentleman, and I remember one time we I walked with him to some other friend's house to play, and there were some local kids, there were some words exchanged, and we were chased. You know, these kids were older. He was not, you know, a well-accepted, mm-hmm. and you realize there was a stigma with the game. And then there was also 60 minutes that a report suggesting it was dangerous for kids. That's and right. Parents, That's right. Right? That parents was a big part of it, yeah. There was yeah, a big yeah. thing like, this is dangerous. Kids are killing themselves. There's a yes. real danger to this. There's summoning there's a, of there's demons. There's a satanic, satanic right. component. Yeah. There's a, there's yeah. a summoning. And it was like this whole kind of like question from the system that somehow this was like an evil, dark, like a Ouija board or something, you know? Yes, so yeah, there was, yeah. there was, there was a parallel where parents were sort of questioning, is it healthy to, to role play all day? Mm-hmm. And then there was a perceived that it was just kind of weird. You know, I think I should have realized, Tom, when we used to play running charades, like we both love games and are gamers and we yes. would dive into that and have a blast. Yes. This yes. is similar in its own way, but again, it's a, it's an open-ended game. And so I think now people are enjoying it. It's a, it's a fun thing. But the one thing I would suggest is, the open-ended game of it all, younger, you would really come up with your own campaigns. Like when you're talking about mm-hmm. the rebels in the woods, there was inevitability to any campaign that at some level, like I don't, they weren't infinity levels. You would, it would kind of become about countries and, and wars. And it would evolve into something different. Mm-hmm. And the one thing now, the modules are great and it's a great way to get started, but it is back to sort of being a close-ended game on some level because there's mm-hmm. a final mm-hmm. destination that one must get to. And I think part of the fun of the game is, being able to have something open-ended, a world that you're creating and that you're playing in. And yes, I think that now there's, there's not a perception with it. It was now there's more of an acceptance with it, but the truth is it was always just a blast, you know, sitting with friends and imagining there was, you know, no grand theft auto or Ultima was a game (laughs) I loved um, that I played on Apple two E all those Mm -hmm. floppy dig day, but it was the first time that there was a concept that you were someone else with statistics and you were navigating a world. And I mm-hmm. think that was really the joy of it. And to get to do that with friends and, you know, to continue that game, that those imagination games to do that, it, it definitely is something today that doesn't, you know, carry that stigma. But I think even younger, like, you knew it wasn't well-liked necessarily, but there was something cool about playing a game that was off the grid. 
That's the that what is what I think the real magic of the game is is like it's you are immersed in this Lord of the Rings like world. You are a party of characters of of sort of diverse backgrounds and diverse abilities, like the players are. And then you, while you've sort of forged this party in the game, you're forging a party of the people who are playing it, mm-hmm. and especially sort of during this pandemic time it's you know it's really hard for you know people who have kids and have like you're saying at the beginning it's like who has time to you know, to carve out this this amount of time but you're able to sort of create the kinds of sort of friendship bonds that you, it's different if it's a poker game it's different if you're going out to a bar it's different if it's you know couples night out you really are sort of creating this camp of friends who have these shared experiences that are super exciting, super exciting, super fun, involve sort of danger and fighting. And sometimes there's inter-party conflict like there is in the world that is really something that is very magical. All right. Well, anyway, thank you very much, Dan. Thank you very much, Vince, for joining me here on Maximum Firepower. I'm Tom Morello. Till next time, take it easy, but take it. Let foes of justice tremble. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the SiriusXM app. Search Maximum Firepower.